0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're actually going to read this entire chapter this morning. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since when we have taken it off, We will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident, and we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. For if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died so... For all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin. For us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you don't know me, my name's Weston, and uh, I'm so excited that you guys are here today to be a part of this. Um, We are going to be walking through the text that we just read this morning, and a a central question that I want to be asking as we walk through this is, how would you live if you knew, like if you knew that God was real, not I think, not I, I trust, not I hope, but I, like I know in my soul, in my gut, what, what would that really change about you? if you possessed this kind of knowing? What would it change about your life goals? What would it change about your decision-making? What would it change about the way that you view maybe yourself and the things that you do? In many ways, the Apostle Paul is answering that question for us today with regards to his own life. Uh, When I was uh, a kid, I grew up in Minden, and, and when I was a kid growing up in Minden, my dad worked for UPS. In fact, my dad was one of, uh, one of the first employees uh, when UPS first came to this area back in the 70s. And for years and years, he was the only UPS guy in Minden and, and also for much of Webster Parish. And so by the time that I was like a teenager and driving and, and all that kind of stuff, he had been the UPS guy in our area for 20 plus years. And so what that meant was he literally knew everybody, especially if you're a business owner, because he was, he was coming in and out of your business every single day. So he, he literally knew everybody. He could rattle off everybody's home addresses. And, and what that meant for me as a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old was that there was literally nothing I could get away with. Right There, there was nowhere. That I could go, there was nothing that I could do in our little town w- that wouldn't ultimately get back to my parents in some way, shape, or form. In fact, my dad would often come home at night and just around the dinner table would say things like, "Oh, I uh, heard you uh, went to the gas station today after school," you know, just to mess with me, right? Just to just to let me know that I was being watched, right? That he had his spies out around town. Some of you who grew up in a small town know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing. As an adult, I, I now look back and I realize that that, that actually had a significant effect on me. It, it had an effect on how I made decisions. It had an effect on what I chose to do and what I didn't choose to do. Um, so things like skipping school, things like saying I was going to one friend's house but really going somewhere else, smoking cigarettes, like whatever, whatever the temptation might be. Because I knew that there were very few things that I could get away with, it actually led me to avoid a lot of dumb decisions. That's not to say I didn't do dumb things, but there were a lot of dumb things I didn't do because I just knew I would get caught, right? I knew there was just no way that this was gonna go down well. But something else was at play also. My parents gave me a lot of trust and my parents gave me a lot of freedom. They're incredibly loving and generous and so there was a part of me that not only didn't want to get caught, there was also a part of me that recognized that my parents loved me and I didn't want to disappoint them, right? I, I wanted them to be pleased with me. I wanted them to be happy with me and the choices that I made. So as we come to today's text, just with, just with that, that idea in mind, the idea of loving parents who are watching but yet who also give you great freedom and give you the ability to make decisions on your own. In today's text, the Apostle Paul has had like a life-altering encounter with Christ. And his faith in Christ has brought them to this place where he's not saying, hey, I, I think this is true. He's not saying, I hope this is true. What he's saying is, I know that this is true. To, to read what he is saying here in 2 Corinthians, he isn't speaking as someone who is like speculating about anything, but instead as someone who has full confidence in Christ. And, and it completely changed the way that he lived. Like if you read the account of the New Testament and the story of Paul, Paul's life dramatically shifted once he realized that there was a Savior who, the, who loved him and who died for him and who had called him according to his purposes. And even though he famously says here, we walk by faith, not by sight, what what he's revealing to us is I'm placing my full confidence in Christ in spite of the fact that I don't see him physically standing in front of me. right? I'm placing my full faith in Christ to this point of being able to say I know even though there is an element of mystery to this. Even though I don't have an answer to every single question. And so as we pick up today, he's seeking to explain, I think, this knowingness on some level. He's seeking to explain this in such a way that the church in Corinth will be persuaded to devote all things to Christ in the way that he has devoted all things to Christ. And there's a long history between Paul and this church. He helped establish this church. Um, Over time, they have struggled as false teachers have come in. They've strayed away from the gospel. Paul has written them multiple letters. Um, there, There are some letters that are even alluded to in Scripture that are not included in Scripture, that are lost. And so Paul's desire is to call them back to the gospel that he proclaimed to them, the gospel that established their foundation Early on. And his argument revolves around five things that he knows and the fruit that those five things produce. And so I want to break those five things down briefly for us, and then we're going to look at the practical implications of this. So Paul says, I know first that we have a heavenly dwelling. I know that we have a heavenly dwelling. Now he's not talking about a, a mansion in heaven. Like sometimes you'll hear that kind of language used. No, no, no. What Paul is talking about is this heavenly recreated body, right? That, that God is creating this perfect body, this perfect, he uses the imagery of a tent because he was a tent maker by trade. God is creating this perfect tent for us so that there will come a point in time when we're no longer in this skin, when we're no longer in this flesh. And, and what Paul's saying is, that's the most incredible thing that could ever happen to you. It's to not be encumbered by this tent because we, he says we groan in this tent. Like this is a burden, living in this world, sin, death. He says the greatest thing that could ever happen to us is for us to be freed from this tent and to be instead in this new dwelling that has been created for us by God. And so he says, I know that that is what is to come. And the fruit of that in Paul's life, he says, is that I now have great courage. I'm not encumbered by fear because I know that this will pass away and there is something greater to come and that to be in that something greater is to truly be with the Lord. And so as a result, what in the world do I have to be afraid of? Like what in the world would I be scared of? And so, so, Church in Corinth, you see me going out. You, you see me proclaiming the gospel to, to groups of people who don't want to hear it, to groups of people who believe a variety of different things. You've seen the fact that I've been arrested. You've seen the fact that I've been, uh, people have tried to kill me. Like, all of these terrible things have happened. I don't care because here's what I know. I know what is to come is way better than what is right now. And so I'm released. I'm released from any fear. Secondly, he says, I know that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I know that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This may not be something that we talk a lot about in today's church, and yet it's a theme that we find throughout the New Testament. This idea that we will stand before Him at some point and give an account. This is what he's saying in this text. We'll give an account for the good things that we've done and the evil things that we've done. Now, the confidence for those of us who are believers, the confidence that we have comes from Romans chapter 8, which says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So so this judgment, if you're a believer, this judgment isn't about you being condemned by him, but but yet your life will be laid out before him. What the Apostle John says in 1 John is that there will be some who will be ashamed before him. Not condemned before him, but ashamed before him, right? That that there are some who, when you start to lay out what was your life and what did you do, it's not just going to be what did you believe, it's also going to be what did your belief lead to in your life. Like if you actually believe these things, what did that produce within you? Paul says, I know that this will happen. And he says, so as a result, the fruit of that knowledge is this man, I desire to please God. Now, on our own, in our sin, we're incapable of pleasing Him, right? right? Like, like Scripture says, our righteousness is like filthy rags, that there are none of us who are righteous on our own, not even one. And yet, through the gift of the gospel and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through the process of sanctification that God works out within us, It is possible for us to say yes to his call. It is possible for us to say yes to his will, to be obedient to him, to follow him, to put sin to death in our lives and to move towards what he has prepared before us. It's what we read earlier in Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship and we have now been created in Christ Jesus, right? Not just born of flesh, not just born in this world. We've been recreated, you could say, in Christ Jesus, And his desire is that we would do good work. And and those are actually things he's prepared for us. What that scripture indicates is that he actually has tasks that he has prepared in advance that we might walk in those things. And so our belief in Christ changes everything. Paul says, for me, it has brought me to this place where I've gone from being an opponent of the church seeking to kill believers to this place where the greatest aim of my life is to actually try to please my Father in heaven. Next, Paul says, I know, as a result of all this, he says, I now know the fear of the Lord. I know the fear of the Lord. I know what it means to want to please Him. I, 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 and, and here's what I do with this. When, when we see the word fear, some of us think terror, some of us mean Think actual like physical shaking in our boots type fear. And and listen, there are moments throughout the scriptures where people have encounters with God or they have encounters with spiritual beings and and that is the natural response. Like what is happening in those moments with with people like Moses is like so supernatural and so outside of normal everyday experience that the result is fear. Like there's actual physical fear. But what Paul's saying here is not just that. He's saying, look, I know that the Lord is real. And because I know that the Lord is real, I know he's watching me, right? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So so I know that he's not not some far-off distant God. He's, He's aware of my life now. He's aware of what I'm doing. He knows and he sees. And and so as a result, yeah, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. Much like my parents, I I knew that they would find out. and, And yet I also knew that they loved me. And so I wanted them to be proud. I wanted them to be happy. I still do. And so he says the result of this for me is I'm seeking to persuade others. I'm not just sitting back with my feet up waiting for this heavenly body I was talking about. No, no, no. Fear has been removed. I have a desire to please the Lord. And so I am now going after him. And I'm seeking to persuade others with the gospel of Jesus. Next, he says, I know that those who are in Christ are new creations. We've already hit on this a little bit. I know that those who are in Christ are new creations. He says, the old has gone. Behold, the new has come. That means there has been some transformation here. There has been some change here. Something has shifted. Something has taken place. And he says, because of that, I'm not the same person I used to be. My nature has now changed. I've gone from death to life. I've gone from not having hope to now having hope and Paul was a guy who had everything finally he says i know that we are ambassadors for christ so based on everything that we've just walked through i know that we are ambassadors for christ and what god is doing the result of that is that god is actually making his gospel appeal to the world through us Paul says he's making his gospel appeal to the world through me and through you. So five things that he knows. I have a heavenly dwelling. I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I know the fear of the Lord. I know that I'm a new creation and I know that I'm an ambassador for Christ. Paul says, based on these things, I am courageous and I am unworried about my life. I have a desire to live a life that is pleasing to God. And because I want to please him, I seek to persuade others to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. And it's actually a possibility that I could even be involved in any of that kind of stuff in any kind of an effective way, because I'm no longer me. I've now been made new by Jesus. And because of that, I am an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Not an ambassador for this world, not an ambassador for the city I grew up in. I'm now an ambassador for a new realm, a new world where I now live because of Christ. And that is God's kingdom. And God is actually making his case to the world through me. Then he says to his readers in verse 20, Based on everything I've just said to you, based on all of those things, I implore you, like in the strongest possible terms, I implore you to be reconciled to God. In other words, we call you to experience this new createdness as well. Like you are not living in the joy and the hope and the fearlessness that I've discovered, right? You aren't experiencing the fullness of this new life that I'm experiencing. And so I implore you, be reconciled to God through Christ. Quit living a life of pure selfishness. We call you to live a life that is pleasing to him because of what Jesus has done for you. We call you to live as ambassadors of reconciliation. Is that making sense? Are you guys following me this morning? No, I left out one key element of what Paul is saying, and that's verse 5. He says, I don't know these things because I'm like delusional or crazy. He says, no, I know these things. I'm able to speak with that kind of confidence because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said, verse 5. He says, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee or as a seal, or as a mark, that these things are actually real and true. I haven't just subscribed to some new set of written beliefs. Right? I haven't just joined up with a group of people. I've passed from death death to life, and now God has given me this guarantee, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit within me. So now I'm doing things that I wouldn't do. Right? Like I'm taking steps that I wouldn't take. I'm saying things that I wouldn't say because I'm submitting myself to Him. And so I can come before you and go, guys, I'm not just speculating here. I'm saying this is a real thing because of the presence of God's Holy Spirit. So the presence of the Spirit speaks to the truth and validity of the power of Jesus' sacrifice. So now imagine with me for a moment what your life would look like, for you personally, what would your life look like if you not only embraced, but also intentionally sought to live the kind of life that Paul is describing here? What would be different about your life, your your normal day-to-day, everyday existence, if, if the point... Was actually seeking to live the kind of life that Paul is describing here? What if if the purpose of your life shifted to the point where you actually thought of yourself, you self identified as an ambassador of reconciliation? What if you actually came to identify that as your purpose in life? Like as your reason for living, as your reason for being. And you may go, well, wait, 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 Paul was an apostle of Jesus. Like, wasn't that just something for Paul? No, 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 no. The example of the New Testament, the example of Christ, the example of the Great Commission, right, is that this actually is not some special next level tier of followership, that this is actually just called being a disciple of Jesus. Like, if you look at the lives of the other apostles, they gave up everything for Jesus. They gave him the whole of their lives. And Jesus didn't say, guys, the mantle is on you. Everything depends on you. I want you to go out. I want you to be strong leaders. And then once you're gone, you're gone. No, that's not what he said. He said, I want you to go. And in the same way that I have reproduced myself in you, I want you to go and reproduce me in others. Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. So all that Paul is describing for us today is regular, run-of-the-mill Christianity. It's not radical Christianity. It's not radical discipleship. It is just discipleship. It is just following Jesus. And I think it's interesting that one of the first things that he addressed in this passage was fear. Because when I start talking about those kinds of things in my own heart, and my guess would be in some of you, there is like natural fear that creeps up into the mix. And so it's interesting that he begins there. Whether we realize it or not, fear, worry, anxiety, concern are actually some of the primary driving factors in our lives. In fact, for some of us, they are the functional gods of our lives. Paul, however, is claiming to have had an experience that many of us probably struggle to identify with, and that is an experience where he has come to the place where he has a complete lack of concern for his own life. And many of us look at that and go, man, that's just nuts that doesn't make any sense. We've talked before about the fact that Paul was probably incredibly frustrating to his opponents for this reason, because people would want to try to kill him, right? And he would go, praise God to die is gain, right? But then people would like let him live, and he would go, awesome, because to live is Christ. So it's like you couldn't do anything to him. Like there was no way to like manipulate him or motivate him to do the thing you wanted him to do. No, no, no. He's following Jesus in death and in life. It doesn't matter. The gospel teaches us that through Jesus, we have been freed from slavery to sin and death. And yet many of us claim the gospel and yet live as if this life is all there is. We claim to believe something that says we have passed from death into life, that we have been born again, that we now live in a kingdom, not in this world, and yet many of us functionally live as if this life is all there is. And so we do things like we, 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 we try to get as much as we can. We, we think, I need to be as productive and as successful as I can be. I need to build wealth. I need to attain position and status. I need to be secure. I need to be safe. I need to avoid risk. I need to put my children in a protective bubble. I need to make sure that my future is secure. And all of these are impulses that are ultimately motivated by fear. Not just wisdom, but in many cases, fear. Now, this is fascinating. What Paul is advocating today is actually not the removal of fear from your life. What Paul is saying is, he says, I'm fearless when it comes to, do I live, do I die? But he's not advocating the removal of fear from your life. He's actually advocating a transfer of your fear. Actually moving you to the place where the thing that you fear is not man and not the things of this world, but where the thing that you fear is actually God. And again, not in a terror type sense, but in a sense where I know he's real, and I know what he has done for me, and so I'm far more concerned about what he thinks than what anybody else thinks. Does that make sense? where your concern, your worry isn't attaining things or family security or being in the gated neighborhood or having enough, but where your primary concern is that you would live a life that is pleasing to him, that that would be your intention. Paul's going, man, because of what Christ has done for me, because of the hope and the grace that has been extended to me, I don't care what you guys do to me. My concern is that I would be living in a way that's pleasing to him. So if you're a believer, if you would call yourself a Christ follower, Scripture teaches us that the whole point of your life is now for you to be seeking to become more like Jesus. That that is the process of sanctification, the process of discipleship in your life, that as a people, we would be seeking to become more like Him. And think of Paul and think of Christ, Jesus who went to the cross willingly who wasn't afraid. And the Apostle Paul, who because of this example and because of how his life has changed and because of the presence of the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, it would be better if I died because I know what's to come. I'm convinced that if there is not a transfer of our fear Most of us will never mature in the way that he has called us to mature. And so two things real quick as I close that I think we need to consider. Romans 12 says that we have a choice. We can either be conformed to this world or we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds And mental renewal is a process. This isn't a, I wake up one day and I no longer deal with a worldly fear type thing. Or I wake up one day and I, I no longer deal with anxiety in my life. But you have to intentionally engage the process of mental renewal. You have to actually go after it. This isn't a, like, let go and let God type thing. No, 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 no. He expects you to be an active participant. There are many of us who have made a profession of faith in Jesus or have been baptized at some point, but nothing has ever really changed about your life. Except maybe now you go to church most weeks. And guys, He is calling us to so much more than that. Many of us Have been failed by the church because many churches lack intentionality, like to actually pull up alongside people who have trusted Christ to help guide you and shape you and encourage you. And also because of a lack of intentionality on our own part to actually pursue Christ in our life. So here's an exercise take a week, keep a journal of the time that you spend watching TV, scrolling social media, trolling around the internet, and the actual content that you're taking in. And also keep a journal for the week of the time that you have spent engaging spiritual practices, prayer, scripture reading, meditating on scripture, fasting, those kinds of things. I'm going to guess that for most of us, one of those lists is going to be way longer than the other. And I'm not telling you guys that it's, it's like sinful to watch TV or be on social media or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, this isn't a moralistic or pharisaical type thing. What I am saying, though, is you are what you eat. Like, you become what you take in. It shapes you. It forms you. And if the thing that you are primarily ingesting is not the gospel, if it's not the truth of God's word, then just don't be surprised when transformation isn't happening. Right? If you really want to pursue him, if you really want to become more like him, do you think that's just going to magically happen? Like without some effort or work on your part? Like the disciples had to actually leave their jobs and their families behind to follow Christ. And there were times when it was incredibly hard once, once he was resurrected, he, he started to tell them things like, listen, guys, some of you are going to be killed. Some of you are going to be delivered up to the courts. Like, people are going to hate you. you th- they hate me. like, so this isn't easy. But you can't just sit back and expect it to happen and then wonder why there's been no forward motion, wondering why you still struggle with the same old things. So I would encourage you to just do a little bit of a tally this week. Like, like, what am I actually doing? What am I actually spending my time on? What is actually shaping me and forming me? And then secondly, whose example are you following? So Paul is putting his experience and his life out there as a model for other people. He's explaining how he has been reconciled to God so that others will be reconciled to God. So who are you looking to as a guide On this journey. Because that's a part of why the church exists. So that we would actually lead and guide and speak into one another's lives. Because not only are we shaped by what we take in, we are also greatly shaped by the group or culture or context that we inhabit. If you spend all of your time with uber wealthy friends, then then what are you going to want? Right? Like the same thing is true. We are shaped by who we are with and what we take in. And God's desire is not that you would abandon your friendships or anything like that. No, no, no. Instead his desire is that you would see yourself as an ambassador of reconciliation in those relationships. That you would recognize what he has done for you and called you to. That through your life that other people would be compelled to follow Christ. That other people would look to you and go that person is my guide on this journey. Like they're not perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. Paul was very quick to talk about his flaws and imperfections, right? But, but people were looking to him as a guide. That we would all be people who are driving others towards the kind of faith that leads you to the place where you say, I'm no longer me, I'm now seeking to be Jesus. This is the whole reason we've started this church, y'all. This is the whole reason we've started this church. Shreveport has a million churches. Shreveport has some great churches. We don't think we're better than other churches. But we know that we have been changed by Christ and that he has actually sent us with the gospel that He has sent us with purpose, that He has sent us with mission, that He has sent us as ambassadors of His kingdom. And what we know is that God is actually making His gospel appeal to this neighborhood, the neighborhood that I live in, the neighborhood you live in. He is making His gospel appeal to those places through you and your life. And and you can can live there and do nothing. And and, and somehow, because He's God, He might even still be able to use you. (laughs) Like... It's amazing, but yet what he has called you to is not only a recognition of who you are. What did we say? He has also prepared specific work for you to do, and his desire is that you would step into that and do it. That's why we've started this church. It's because we want to see people meet Jesus. We want to see people grow up in Jesus, and we want to see people go out with Jesus' gospel mission as ambassadors of his kingdom. Like that there would literally be a life cycle that's going on around here. That people are being born, that people are leaving and going and doing the things that he has called them to do. And for some people that means leaving and going overseas or something, but for most of us it means just recognizing the place where we already are, as the place where he has put us as ambassadors of his kingdom. That is why we exist. That is why we he, we're here. It's not just to have another worship gathering. It's not just to have another Sunday school class or Bible study or anything like that. Our purpose is that the gospel of Jesus would be made known to this neighborhood, to this city, to the places where we live, work, and play, that we would be changed and that we would call others to be reconciled to Christ as well, not only through our words, but also through the way that we live our lives declaration and demonstration. Let's pray together to that end this morning.